This is the Sharp Bend Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the American Alpine Club and sponsored by Mammut. Mammut is extending our best wishes to you and your family during this time. We look forward to recreating in our favorite places with our outdoor community soon. For this Sharp Bend episode, we will be giving away a rope, a harness, and a helmet from our new spring-summer collection. Find out how to enter this giveaway at the end of this episode. In the meantime, hashtag confidently stay. Thank you to Desert Mountain Medicine and Koros for sponsoring this episode. Koros. As we climb higher, the risks associated with thinner air increases. Just like beacons and avalanche airbags, great equipment can help protect us. In addition to being the industry leader in battery life, Koros Vertex and Apex Pro GPS watches provide autonomous blood oxygen readings to help better inform climbers and mountaineers of the likeliness they will develop hypoxia. A proprietary algorithm is used to take into account elevation, heart rate, blood oxygen, and several other factors to advise a climber if they should stay put, continue climbing, or head back down to base camp. Follow at Koros Global on social media for more information about their amazing products and athlete stories. Remember Dave Weber? I've talked to him a few times on this podcast. He's the Denali Ranger and Utah Life Flight Paramedic. Well, I get to talk with him again about all things COVID-19 and how it's affecting our climbing community. I've recorded this episode at the end of April, and things are changing really fast with COVID, but it seems like the situation is going to be with us for a long time. Dave has some great thoughts on how climbers and others can think about this for the long haul. So check it out, and I hope you enjoy. Thanks for having me back, Ashley. Uh, again, my name's Dave Weber. Uh, typically during this time of year, I'm one of the mountaineering rangers on Denali. Uh, this year, that doesn't look like that'll be the case. Uh, and then during the rest of the year, I work as a flight paramedic down in Utah for Intermountain Life Flight. Yeah. And like you said, you um, like you said, you normally work in Denali this time of year and they close the park. Yeah, we the park hasn't closed yet, but the the climbing season, the climate permits um, are no longer being issued for this season, um, and so effectively the climbing season is closed. Um, the park may follow suit and close like many of the other parks, but at this point it's still open. But uh, not sure how long that'll be the case. So, what's it like in Talkeetna right now? Then was it just sort of quiet or? Very, very strange, especially being a town of so few people normally and at the actually at the end of a road. Um, it, it was had a really eerie feel about it. We showed up as we normally do in early March to start our training cycle, and that got off the first week or two pretty, pretty normal flow. Um, but then kind of no one else showed up in town, and I think that was when it became really evident that that things were going to be vastly different this year as we're all starting to experience. And uh, I know all of us with the park in Talkeetna um, feel so badly for everyone in that small community and in all the other small communities where the whole town kind of revolves around this tourist season and this climbing season. And to see none of that happening uh, for the local population is, is just really hard. It's, it's such a small place and 
everyone knows one another, uh, whether it's air taxis or the restaurants or any of the other establishments in town. So like so many places, it's, it's just, it truly does impact every single person. And that's really evident in Talkeetna, Alaska right now. Yeah. And, um, you know, I lived in Southeast Alaska for nine years. I lived in Sitka and I lived in Juneau and, and in Haines a bit. And it's the same with Southeast Alaska. It's those towns boom from cruise ship passengers coming off the ships all summer long. And all of those towns are going to be hurting in, in big ways, which is just so sad. I know. And, and I think that how quickly things change too. I think that's been the, the reality for everyone where I think most folks and probably a lot of the climbers listening to this podcast, like in general, we are problem solvers and we're, we're good at fixing things or plowing our way through something when it's not going our way or starts to go sideways a little bit. And when you come up against something like this, it was kind of a really jarring moment when kind of each person individually realizes wow, this is going to radically alter my life and everyone around me, everyone around me's life as well. And there's not really anything any of us can do about it. Mm-hmm. So Dave, let's talk about COVID-19 and how climbers can respond. Sure. It's a, so COVID is essentially the infection that people get from this new strain essentially of a coronavirus. Um, I'm sure tons of people or everyone has heard of it by now. Uh, I think the goals today that we had talked about, one is to just kind of outline some of the best practices for minimizing the spread of the virus. I think as we're all acknowledging now, completely stopping it uh, is not really an approach based in reality. And so what what are those things we can do to minimize the spread? And then also to help kind of filter through some of the information for folks, because we've all been completely overloaded with COVID information. And so this virus, is, yeah. as most folks know by now, it started um, in China and after a very short amount of time has proliferated all across the globe with, with international travel and, and kind of the the way that we're able to move around as a human species now. And I, there's no place in our country that's not affected now. And, and that happened really quickly. I think the things to know about this virus is it spreads pretty easily. Um, the vectors that it affects uh, patients and people is that it, it is our mucous membranes, essentially eyes, nose, and mouth contact with those infected droplets. Uh, Those droplets seem to originate from either the patient directly, someone who's infected either through their breathing, their coughing, their sneezing, or from dirty surfaces. And I, I think the other thing about this virus in particular, because it is a new strain, we are learning things on a daily basis. And so you might right. hear some guidance one day about how long it lives outside of the body. And then you hear something totally different the next day. And people are just trying to filter through that. And, and hopefully we can do that for folks here today too. Uh, some of the things I feel like we do know pretty well right now, uh, once you're exposed to the infected droplets, it will present most likely within the first two to 14 days. 
but that is a two-week window, which is a, a rather large window. It seems, on average, though, most patients are starting to show symptoms within the first five to six days. The problem being, as I'm sure many people have heard, is that we are contagious or our patients are contagious a couple days prior to showing symptoms. So people can feel fine yeah. and feel totally healthy and actually be contagious. And there's estimates now that up to 50% of the people that are contagious and spreading this virus are without symptoms, which makes it even more scary, I think, uh, to folks when you can't see it, you don't know who's got it, even if they look totally well or that they're appearing totally well. I think these are all these things that are kind of cumulatively adding to the to the stress of this whole scenario for folks. Yeah, it creates a sort of a paranoia too. I mean, for, at least for me, when I'm when I have to go to the grocery store because I'm 100 percent out of groceries, and I brave right. the grocery store with you know a buff around my face and hand hand sanity in my pocket, uh, and I'm just wondering who you know looking around. Okay, who in the aisles got it? And it just makes me so paranoid, which is causes me so much stress and anxiety, and then I can't sleep well. And yeah. It does. I think that's a perfect illustration too. Is just that stress and paranoia, they are affecting everyone. And and I think if you only leave here with one thing from this podcast today, it should be control what you can. And that's really all we can ever do. But especially right now, just control the things that you can. And I think some of those early things when you don't know if you're infected or you don't know who around you is, is well, we can monitor for signs and symptoms, the common things, the things that seem to really denote this illness versus the flu or common cold and things like that. And some of those are the kind of the top three that you hear a lot are, do you have a fever? Or do people around you have a fever? Do you have a kind of dry cough and or sore throat? And do you have this kind of overwhelming fatigue? Those seem to be the kind of three things that that people are reporting early on um, and, and that tend to persist through the course of, of the coronavirus. And so we can monitor for that. And I think that's something we have control over. Um, and then realize too that what you've probably seen is that most people, and they think kind of the 80% or 80% plus of patients are going to require no hospitalization, really similar to kind of the flu where, you know, you'll get sick, you might feel awful, but in general, no need for the hospital and only supportive care, like keeping hydrated, keep yourself eating, and then take take over-the-counter meds as you need to just take care of the symptoms. If you got a headache, take something for a headache. You got a fever, take something for a fever and treating it that way and, and really using that difficulty breathing or shortness of breath to be the threshold for, hey, this is getting pretty bad and that might be the time to seek hospital or more definitive treatment um, there. But I'll keep coming back to that piece, Ashley, of just control the things you can, because that's really all yeah. we can do. Um, yeah. All, that's all we can do ever, but especially, I think, right now. That's important to just keep some sanity. When when you say control what you can, like one thing that I can control is my personal – if you know, more or less is my personal well-being and health when I do go to the grocery store. And one of those things is I take hand sanity with me, like a little, uh, <laughs> or one of those mini bottles. 
Um, and I, and I, like I said, I put a buff on. Yeah. And I, I think those are great things. I think on, the, and they all fall into kind of that prevention category where you got three or four things we can do. One of them is kind of that staying clean piece. And you mentioned a couple of them. So washing your hands, soap and water, that 20 seconds, whenever possible, when that's not readily available, like in the grocery store or getting in and out of your car, or going to the gas station when you need gas, then you can use hand sanitizers. But whenever you've got the ability to thoroughly wash your hands, you should do that. The, the face mask piece, I think we've seen that gain a ton of traction in the last couple of days. And again, as we're learning more, we're, we're hearing new information. And what I would say about face masks, especially the homemade face mask or the ones that are being produced that aren't medical grade, they're really cheap insurance. Like it's definitely not going to mm-hmm. hurt and it might help. And, and the things that I, I feel like I've seen that maybe people aren't using them as, as well as they could is, Think about using those face masks in crowded places or in public places. Using them in your home and around the people that you're, you're, you've been kind of quarantining with and, and separating with, I don't think that's as necessary. Or if you're going to, say, a workspace or that you go to um, a workspace in your house. I think those are places where you, you, you shouldn't require that. But anytime you're in public, I would say, and anytime you're in a crowded space or around public that you don't know, that's definitely an appropriate time to use a face mask. Remember, those face masks kind of go two ways. It keeps you from getting other people sick if you happen to be kind of before symptoms but contagious, and it prevents hopefully other people from getting you sick. The the way you're going to get sick is by those droplets that will first interface with kind of the outside of that mask. And so be really mindful of not then exposing any of your mucous membranes remember anything they talk about don't touch your face and your eyes and mouth and nose and don't then really carelessly be flipping that mask on and off your face you'll see people kind of just have it down below their chin and picking it up to shove a bite of food in there and putting it back down and realize that outer surface could be that infected portion of the mask so i kind of put it on be in the public and then as you get back, wash hands, remove it carefully, get it washed or disposed of. And then again, the whole push to not use kind of medical grade face mask is to try and prioritize that towards those, those responders and care providers on the front lines. Right. I, I can't believe how much I touch my face. Oh, yeah. I think I mean, we're all learning more, that. The more I think... Yeah, like you know, you don't think about it, and now that we're thinking about it every second of the day, I'm just so surprised at how often I touch my face, and that just grosses me out and makes me even more paranoid. And then, you know, I go to the grocery store, get my groceries, come back, I have a sanitized part of the kitchen counter where I then I go through every item that I purchase and and disinfect that and put it on the sanitized part of the counter. I mean, is that correct? Is that, am I over the top, Dave, or? No, you know, I think, again, doing the things that you're able and controlling. I think if you prioritize, maybe before the sanitizing of, of everything that comes in your house, I think as much as you can wash hands and keep that that part of your body clean and then avoid touching your face, like that's where it's going to get transmitted. So even if you've got groceries that are contaminated or even if you've got something, you bring something to your house, as long as you've got clean hands 
and not touching your face, then there shouldn't really be that vector to get it right. Okay. To get you infected. But again, all those things are are are, are ways you can kind of further your your buffer. Um, coughing and sneezing into your elbow. Again, I know with our outdoor community, we're not always the best at hygiene. We're not always the best at washing ourselves, washing our clothes, dishes, towels, things like that. I would I would argue pretty pretty staunchly that this is not the time for environmental friendliness in a couple of different ways. When you look at the medical environment, it's not great at at environmental sustainability. Typically we use really harsh chemicals. They don't recycle much. They use a lot of disposable equipment. The reasons for that is because it can stay clean and because it can stay safe. And so I know a bunch of us will typically make different decisions in our personal life. And I don't think this is the time to, to be really hard on yourself about those decisions. This is the time to use maybe more harsh chemicals than you normally do and maybe dispose of things a bit more than you do. Wash your clothes, use more water than you normally do, take more showers than you normally do. Like all those things that maybe we don't do in normal times, I, I think we can give ourselves a bit of a, a break here and do them to keep ourselves safe and to keep ourselves healthy and those around us. Yeah, these are not normal times. No, not, not even a little bit. And so you can control all those things. You can keep yourself really clean. And then the separation piece is another huge one. Like you've heard of it so much about that social distancing. I think more correctly, we should think about just physical distancing because um, that's really what they're talking about. Socially, we should stay connected as we can, maybe more than ever, like reaching out to folks, talking to people, texting our friends and family to stay connected that way. But physically we should be distant and six feet should be a minimum, you know, again, wear those face masks, stay away from people. And if you feel at all sick, stay home, stay away, like have a really low threshold for, for keeping yourself completely away from people. If you don't feel good. Um, and then I think the last couple pieces on that prevention are just staying educated. I know that can be really hard. There's so much flying at us all the time. And, I would say go to reputable sources, go to the CDC, go to your departments of health for the state and kind of avoid the social media side of things and the like flashy news stories because there's quite a bit of sensationalism on the outliers where one infant got COVID and died or one this got COVID. Like really focus on the, the, I think the bigger picture and the 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 more generalized numbers where we continue to see this affect the elderly. We see this affect people that have pre-existing conditions. And sure, there's always going to be outliers to everything, but don't let yourself get sucked into that that trap of, Mm. wait, this happened to one person? Okay, but remember, there's 400,000 other people in this country or more that are also infected and just keep kind of that global perspective, I think will also help with sanity. We had talked a little bit kind of about general treatment stuff and uh, for folks. And I think what I would say that the people on this podcast is this is a time to leave it to the professionals. Like we as wilderness care providers and the style of medicine that we, we typically practice as, as climbers and as wilderness first aid, wilderness first responders, like, not very well suited to interact with these patients 
And so there are some wilderness medical principles that apply really well here, but there's some things that are quite different and, and could, could get your listeners into trouble. I think the number one principle of wilderness medicine and all medicine that it applies here, maybe more than ever, is the idea of scene safety and scene size up. Uh, you should not get anywhere near someone that you have any suspicion uh, might have COVID. Um, I think w- in the professional setting, we're looking at making sure that it's we're only exposing one provider per patient whenever possible. And so minimizing interactions, making sure we have full PPE, and that's gowns, gloves, masks, goggles, like things that we don't typically have in the backcountry with us. And then really pushing ourselves to maintain a six-foot separation, even from patients and bystanders. So doing kind of a remote patient assessment, having the patient put a mask on themselves also to prevent that aerosolized particulate matter that we've talked about that can be those, those infected droplets. Questioning patients about those common symptoms, the fever, the dry cough, the fatigue, again, from a distance. And if you suspect for any reason you're dealing with a COVID patient, call EMS. Again, let the folks that have the gear and the training deal with these patients and and don't get yourself sucked into a place where scene safety is compromised, um, where I think it's a really great concern with these patients in particular. Right. Even if that patient that you stumble upon in the backcountry has done any recent travel, um, Oh yeah. They, they, I mean, you never know the kind of people that you run into in the backcountry, you know, and in your case, um, in the park, people from all over the world come to climb Denali. Um, oh yeah, for so, sure. And now it, yeah. it doesn't even need to be the world traveler. It can be somebody that just went to the grocery store, you know, like it's, I think this, this virus is, has become so prevalent that, you know, everything's kind of out the window, I think, where we used to be able to say, well, did you just come from here? Did you just come from there? And now it's really have a high index of suspicion for for anybody that you might come across that needs help. And I'd I'd really push people to to call for professional definitive med care and not putting yourself in harm's way uh, to be a good Samaritan and potentially uh, become infected yourself. It's just so wild how we have to change the way we think completely because, you know, I, I was out last week and I, uh, there was a person in the the group of four of us, we were just each six feet apart. And I, there's one of, one of the members of this, of this party. I had never met this person before. So I went to go shake his hand mm-hmm. and he stepped back and said, Nope, six feet. And it, it really kind of shocked me um, because I think it's so polite to shake somebody's hand and and introduce myself that way, but I can't think like that. Um, That's not, that's not okay right now. And, and same with, you know, if I'm driving down the road and I see a car accident and I pull over as an EMT and I want to be first on scene to help this person, and perform CPR, I have to stop and think about how that's going to affect me in that moment. Absolutely. It is kind of rewiring so many of us and how we have interacted like the, the 
how we interact socially and with family and friends. And then this piece of just being a good Samaritan and, and where that line needs to be drawn. And, and I, I hope that these practices and habits at some point can go away. We can keep the ones that are good and keep the ones that keep us safe, but but there are. You, you see it in your every day. If you interact with anyone or you happen to be recreating and you see people like jump out of the trail, like feet and feet off the trail, and it's such an unusual response two months ago, and now it's become the norm. And it's, it's for good reason right now. And I, I hope we're able to get back to a place where that's not required at some point in the near future. Me too. Yeah. I think that probably brings us to kind of the last two topics we had talked about uh, today. Safe recreation. Yeah. One being safe recreation and then one kind of the implications of rescue. And I, I think for both of those topics, I would start with the same thing. And I, I heard it said the other day, and I think it's a really good way to, to approach all of this. So on recreation, and for rescue implications is make the health of other people your priority and and really let that sink in. So every decision you're making, whether it's to go to the store, go to the gas station, to go recreate, like really think about the health of other people. And if others is too general, then think about your grandparents or your parents or someone that means something to you that you don't want to get sick. And really prioritizing their health, because if I do that, then maybe I'm keeping somebody else's dad or mom healthy. And if someone else somewhere close to my parents does the same thing, then maybe that's the thing. But really prioritize other people's health here. Um, With that said, you can go outside. Uh, You probably need to go outside. But I would just say, (laughs) and all the recommendations say, just go cautiously. Go solo when you can or go with that kind of family unit or the folks that you're, you're kind of quarantining with. Um, have that be your really small recreation circle whenever possible. Just stay really close to home. Push yourself to actually just leave from your home, like not even need to get in your car and kind of explore every nook of your own turf as you're able um, looking at a couple different land management agencies and how they're approaching this. There's been a handful that talked about trying to minimize your bodily functions. And I think that's got a bunch of kind of <laughs> things under that umbrella. One, they were talking about just the, the, maybe our routine of hitting a trailhead and using that bathroom or that, that outhouse that's there. And they're like, try and stay away from that and not doing that. Try to use bathroom at home and not when you're recreating the other piece of like people heavy breathing during exercise and like the snot rockets and the coughing that happened during exercise, like, um, but also that six foot buffer might not necessarily accommodate someone who's moving really fast on a trail or running and breathing really hard and then coughs. And so maybe, maybe, opening up that buffer a little bit more, but they talked about kind of minimizing those bodily functions as a way to safely recreate what you said before about your trips to the grocery store. I think also apply for when we recreate, whether it's in your car or in a small run and pack with you is have those kind of sanitation supplies with you, have your first aid kit 
that hopefully you've got already, but then the hand sanitizer, the face masks, the way that maybe some wipes to clean surfaces off when you're out, things that we probably never thought of before, but having some of those sanitation and safety supplies with you. Um, I know from a public lands perspective, we're asking everyone to respect those closures, respect the public land closures. There's Mm -hmm. minimal workforce right now enforcing those closures and trying to do as best they can to themselves stay safe. And the more people kind of pushing through those boundaries, you're then putting other families and other workers at risk that then have to come out and, and, and respond there or to close those. And with that reduced workforce, whether it's closed or not is I think leave no trace is essential right now. There aren't people out picking up after us. If we're, if we get lazy about, our trash or letting things blow away. And so I think that's a, that's a good, good Samaritan kind of act that we can, we can still adhere to now. I've, I've thought a lot, I know about recreating in the climbing capacity now, and it's a tough one. Um, If you're not living with those people, it is really hard to rock climb and it is really hard to ice climb and mix climb when roped and maintain any type of the separation that is advised, you know, at the beginning of a route, congregating at, com- at, at, at popular climbing crags, getting to belay stations. Like if you're honest with yourself, you're not really able to do it. And if you're, if you're doing it safely. And so for, for me, and, and I think I've seen others is work on cross training, work on your weak, your climbing weaknesses, do whatever you can do alone, uh, strength training at home stuff. Maybe it's time to run for a while or bike or do something you can do solo or boulder, but climbing is a tough one for the folks that are like, well, I'm a climber. That's what I do. I, th- I think if you keep going back to that principle of prioritizing other people's health, I know it's really easy for all of us to convince ourselves that somehow we require outdoors or the outdoor recreation more than the next person. And so it's really easy to justify going and doing what we've always done. And, and I don't think this is the time for that. And I will, will argue with most of us that you don't need to go outside or go recreate where you normally do any more than anybody else needs that. And so I think just looking at the bigger picture and, and doing what you what you what you really need, not just what you want. <laughs> it's probably a good. Yeah, well said. Well said. Yeah. And then, lastly, I think from kind of the, both the my park service perspective, and then working for a helicopter EMS agency, the rescue side of things. And again, when you if you prioritize other people's health, that can help. But I'm sure people have heard it on other podcasts and other platforms already is it is time to throttle it way, way back. Whatever you are doing, you can, you need to just tell yourself, I cannot get hurt here. I cannot be injured. I cannot get sick. I cannot need outside help. If you find yourself in a place where you're like, ah, I'm I'm hanging it out there a little bit, then, then that's probably a good internal reminder to, to throttle it back. Um, I don't, I don't think there's a huge need here for the kind of the public shaming about recreation that has been prevalent lately. Ongoing. (laughs) Yeah. 
But I think all of us needs to do just that honest self-assessment and be like, what do I really need to do right now for my mental health? What's, what's responsible for me to be doing right now? How can I maybe achieve some different fitness goals or some different outside goals, maybe in a way that aren't as, as risky or, or put me in a position that I'm more likely to be injured. And I think they talk about in the avalanche world all the time is when you're standing on top of that slope and thinking about skiing or riding it and they kind of say, okay, the last thing you should do before you drop in is what's that newspaper going to say about your decision if something goes wrong or what's your, you know, what's your, what's your parents going to read in the newspaper about what you did today. And I I think that's a, it's a good kind of mindset for all of us right now is like, what's that headline going to read? when something goes sideways because I'm out doing whatever it is I'm doing right now. Like if that's what it takes, great. If it takes thinking about keeping your grandpa safe, great. Like I don't think it really matters what it takes to have you do that self-reflection, but I think it needs to happen. There's just, there's so many people who either right now or in the near future are really going to need the medical system and they're going to need it for no fault of their own and for no choice that they made versus us out recreating. And I I think good point in this time right now, if there was ever a time in our lives, in all of our lives to be selfless, that time is right now. I think that's all I've got to say about safe recreating and and the rescue implications because those resources are really stressed right now and they're only going to become more stressed. Yeah. I love I love what you said about um, control what you can and make the health of others your priority. I think that those two I'm going to definitely take away from this conversation with you for sure. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you like what you hear, please leave me a review on iTunes. I know, I know I say that all the time, but they do really go a long way. Um, you could tell a friend or share a link to this podcast on your social media to help spread the word. And of course, you can always donate to the show at sharpendpodcast.com. Thank you to Mammut for being the headlining sponsor. Thank you to Koros for supporting this episode. And thank you to my good friends at Desert Mountain Medicine. Desert Mountain Medicine. Innovative wilderness medicine training since 1998. Do you need to renew your Wilderness First Responder certification? If so, DMM is offering three, that's right, three remote learning refreshers in June due to COVID-19. We are bringing virtual learning to the safety of your home. To learn more and sign up, visit DesertMountainMedicine.com. Are you ready? And now, without further ado, the moment you've all been waiting for, the giveaway. So Manmoot is going to give away a helmet, rope, and harness on this episode, but I'm mixing it up this month because most of my giveaways are done on Instagram, but not everyone has Instagram. So in honor of inclusivity, head on over to sharpendpodcast.com to enter to win. The drawing will be held May 15th, and I'll reach out to you if you've won. Good luck, and remember, play hard and be smart.